This film's a Scorsese film, really. It is. This is a street guy. He happened to play soccer, but actually, when the soccer's gone, he's going to be a street guy again. Raging I've Bull. shown the film to Scorsese, and he loved it. He was talking about De Niro and talking about Pacino, and in the middle of it, dropping in Maradona like they were similar people. Welcome to a Men in Blazers pod special with Asif Kapadia, the Academy Award-winning filmmaker who's one of my favourite documentarians in the world. And anyone who's seen his previous films, Senna and Amy, will know why. Regardless of the subject matter, his creations are emotionally, humanly told. They're almost spiritual. He makes Formula One films for people who couldn't care about Formula One. Films about music for people who hate singing. And football movies that will resonate for someone who's never watched a ball be kicked. His latest film, Diego Maradona, premieres HBO on Tuesday night. It is a feature-length masterpiece. It really is. Chronicling the career of the most celebrated and polarising soccer player of his generation. He's the greatest player I've ever seen with my own eyes. And a bloke whose life turned out to be very much a cautionary tale. Think about it. If the career arcs of Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman were just crushed into one bloke, that's Diego Maradona. And his tale is told brilliantly. Capardia persuaded Maradona to sit for nine hours of interviews that after discovering over 500 hours of never-before-seen footage from Maradona's personal archives, long before reality TV, the little Argentinian, he had two cameramen follow him around everywhere, and I mean everywhere. So this haunting, beautiful, mesmerizing documentary is able to capture not only the ineffable brilliance of Maradona on the field, and he was a man who could make entire cities, regions, nations believe that anything was possible, but also off the field. He peels away the darkness that befell Diego in his personal life. The drugs, the women, the illegitimate children, the glory, the despair, the rise, fall, and partial redemption of an unrivaled talent. It's all like Tony Montana's Scarface, but Argentinian, and perhaps even more ostentatious. HBO's Diego Maradona airs Tuesday, October the 1st at 9pm Eastern Time. You can also stream it on demand on HBO. Here it is, my conversation with the humble but brilliant Asif Kapadia. You're an Academy Award-winning documentary filmmaker. But how do you self-describe what drives you to do what you do? Because judging from your body of work, like Sophocles, Shakespeare, Arthur Miller, you seem to love tragedy. I like drama. I think it comes back to the characters, having really interesting, charismatic characters. I'm drawn to characters that are slightly outside of the system. They're not the establishment. They're not the good guys. They don't always win. I suppose my mission has been to humanise his characters and to show you why they became great, why they were fantastic. Your favourite kind of tragedy is tragedy. I don't have a favourite tragedy. You do! You do. I don't have a... You don't I'm go, telling you what oh, it is. It's you're tra- my favourite tragedy. You are tragic fame. You love tragic fame. You're I'm like, interested in success and what comes with it. Human darkness accompanied by bright light. Your body of work, Senna. Story of a live fast, die young, dignified 
heroic Formula One motor racer who perished in a high-speed crash. Amy, the life and death of a 27-year-old virtuoso, tragic masterpiece. So as a man who loves glory, sprinkle with a little bit of darkness, you've got so many choices for your next movie. You've got Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, Lance Armstrong making a late charge. What made you decide Diego Maradona? I'm a football fan. I've grown up watching football, playing football. I love football. And of my era of watching football, he was the best player in the world. What happened was I got lucky. The opportunity came to me. Someone approached me and said, look, I think there's this material which these cameramen shot of Diego Maradona that nobody's seen before. Would you like to do it? And I thought about it and I said, no, because this was just after Senna. And I thought, I've just done a Latin American hero from Brazil. I'm not ready to do the Argentinian <laughs> one. So I actually passed on it. And the project goes away, I go off and make Amy and I do a few other things. And then the producer came back again and said, look, this is real, we could do it. And then I thought, OK, I'm ready to do it. In truth, there's few modern characters that could make a documentary filmmaker salivate more than Diego Armando Maradona. His life arc, in American terms, I was trying to think who he's like. Essentially, Tony Montana in Scarface. <laughs> I mean, many say that he's the greatest footballer that ever lived. Can you describe him? for someone who never had the human wonder of watching him play? In one way, he is the bridge between people like Pele and Messi and Ronaldo. He's the guy who crosses over from the black and white generation to the megastars that we have now with a billion followers on Instagram. Right? He's the guy that somehow came over from Latin America to Europe because Pele never did. And he played in Italy, which was at the time in the 80s, the toughest league in the world. He was squat, he was impudent, he was part urchin, part prince, five foot five. Proof you don't have to be a colossus to be a world-class football player. That low centre of gravity yeah. reminds me a bit of watching Barry Sanders run. Almost impossible to knock off the ball and one of the greatest dribblers. People try and break his legs. It's a time of football when they did try and break your ankles. That's what gave him the energy to play, was to have a fight. Anger, bronca, as they say in Argentina. He needs anger to play. So if he has someone that doesn't like him or is picking on him, then he'll play better. So he's a street fighter who happened to play football. All of his teammates loved him. It's not all about himself. He's like a political leader or something. He brings everyone together. He brought the community and the town that he played for together. Not just the team he brought together. He could bring entire nations and he made them believe. The 1986 World Cup. He single-handedly willed a very mediocre team, apart from him, to glory. Quarter-final, massive um, game in the shadow of 1982's Falkland War, Argentina, play England. If you're going to sum up Diego Maradona, this is the game that makes him someone that everyone loves and hates. Two goals, three minutes apart. One goal with his hand. He's a cheat. Leaping over a six-foot-one goalkeeper, punching the ball into the net. The hand of God yes. scored, as he said, a little with the head of Maradona, a little with the hand of God. Three minutes later, he scores the best goal ever. We okay. were still reeling from being yeah. robbed. And then he scored a goal that even God couldn't score. A spectacular 60-yard dash, dribbling past five English players, the last two of whom have all admitted they tried to take the man rather than the ball out. I couldn't. I mean, I love the Argentinian commentator in your movie. Yeah. Cosmic Kite, what planet are you from to leave in your wake so many Englishmen so that the whole country is a clenched fist shouting for Argentina? The reason why he is loved in Argentina is because of those two goals. They sum up his personality and his character, the genius and the cheat, right? the angel and the devil, but also the fact that this happened Four years after a war between England and Argentina is why they love him. And no matter what Messi does, 
in his life who'll never beat England in the World Cup doing those two goals just after a war. That's why he will never touch Maradona that in will, the eyes of Argentinians. That would be the best football chant. You'll never score those two goals against England Four just years after, after a, a war. war. Yeah. And this is the whole thing about Argentinians and kind of Latin American football. If you're playing against your rival, you can beat them by being better than them, but if you can beat them by cheating, it hurts more. Why are we still talking about it? Why are they we watch to feel alive, to feel emotions that we don't otherwise feel because we're numb and dead inside. Exactly. And Maradona made us feel them it's love the guy, and hate. Worship and detest. He had the power to transcend, make people come together, feel things, gave us our greatest collective memories of our lifetimes, to assert ourselves, feel empowered. I mean, to me, that's what made him the greatest. There you go, you said it. I could not say it better than you just did. <laughs> to the film, the brilliant film, we first meet him as a shy, reserved, mop-top team prodigy from the slums in Argentina, son of a manual worker, first played football as a way to drag his family out of abject poverty. I mean, the simplicity of the story is eight of them, they live in a shack, they have no running water and no electricity. They get a door key. They get an apartment because he played football when he's 15. From the age of 15, he makes more money than his dad and his mum. So now he's basically the breadwinner, and the pressure on him is to essentially feed the family. The hoops of the family become the hoops of a the city. Then the hoops of his nation heaped on his shoulders. There's a great early scene where he tells a reporter... He's interested in glory rather than money. And then the reporter compliments him on his new fur coat. I mean, there is humour in it as well. You know, there are moments that are quite funny. He's quite a funny character. He likes to dance. He likes his music. He moves to Barcelona. It didn't go well. He had lumps kicked out of him, broken bones. In his words, it was a real disaster. He was never really able to prove himself. He had a few great games, amazing goal against Real Madrid, but then he gets his ankle broken by Goicochea, the butcher of Bilbao. He's out for months. Horrific injury. Comes back, gets hepatitis. He's out of game again. He starts partying in Barcelona. That's part of the issue. He won't do as he's told. So they need him, he needs them, but they're like, this isn't going to work, and they get rid of him. And that's the big thing about no one wants him now. He's damaged goods, so he's got to start all over again and prove himself. Floundering, flailing, falling out with everyone. He spat out and washes up extraordinarily, still extraordinarily even today, at Napoli, one of the poorest cities in Europe, suddenly buys the most expensive player. I mean, itself, that was crazy at the outset. That's the thing that's really hard to come up with an example now of that transfer happening, where having gone from Barcelona, the name of Barcelona, to drop down to Napoli, Napoli nearly got relegated a year before, and they just saved themselves on the last game of the previous season. Napoli, a club that have never won the Italian title, they have no tradition really of winning, no real likelihood when he arrived. The powers of Italy, they're in the north, Milan, Juventus, they look at this sudden upstart from a poor region, how do they see them? They look down at them, they're racist about them, they have the most awful chance about the city of Napoli being the sewer of Italy. They're asking the volcano Vesuvius to erupt and to clean them with fire. And he walks in there and he's like, you're talking down to these people. I've spent my life growing up in a shantytown where people have looked down at me and talked down to me. I went to Barcelona, they looked down on me. I'm going to fight for you guys. And that's what he does. He basically kicks off saying, I'm ready to take this fight on. Maradona will never be comfortable in a place where he is the establishment. He'll never be comfortable in a city where there are lots of stars around him and they're definitely going to win. He has to fight. He has to battle. And the adversity was fuel for him. In a way, he loved being hated. Yeah. He loved being dismissed. He loved the long odds, the underdog. I mean, he lifted Naples on his shoulders. He dragged them, willed them. 
He almost magically levitated them to glory. I love the scene when they finally win the title, <laughs> when the entire team celebrate in the locker room and they sing the football chant, oh mama, 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 do you know why my heart is racing? I've seen Maradona and I've fallen in love with him. And no one is singing louder than Diego Maradona. <laughs> He's in the middle of it singing the song about being in love with himself. But it's the footage, you know, we're used to it now in American sports of cameras in the locker rooms. But this idea that in the 80s that there is a camera there filming all of this and they're not playing for the camera. He's not aware of it. A lot of it is getting this access. At the time, Italian football was one big wide shot from the top of the stand. And we've got cameras on the pitch behind the goal as he's arriving at the stadium, following him, because he had his own two personal cameramen that filmed everything that he did. So the film is constructed with material. We get access that you just cannot imagine. Cherubic of face, curly of hair, he became a religious icon. I mean, there's a line in the film that almost every home in Naples had a photo of Maradona on the wall, many alongside the image of Jesus. Yeah. But Naples also destroyed Maradona. I mean, you really make the city a character in the film. It's got a roiling psychology, in many ways, as chaotic as Maradona's. Naples, they're really in-your-face people. They're touchy-feely. And they loved him, but they kind of suffocated him with love. They let him do whatever he wanted to do, whenever he wanted to do it. And they were like, don't talk about that. Keep it quiet. It's Maradona. doesn't matter if he doesn't train. It's Maradona. He can go out at night. He can party. Girls, drugs, whatever he's up to. It's fine. It's Maradona. As long as he plays, we win. There does seem to be a suffocating culture that starts to surround him Mike shoved in his face he's always alone he's alone but he's surrounded by people isn't he and that creates a vacuum where you stop feeling things you almost look to other things to escape to numb yourself is that what happened yeah I think there's a key moment which is at the point when he reaches the height of his fame when he wins the world cup in Mexico and he wins the championship he has a kid but not with his girlfriend it becomes a high profile child who is named Diego and then he decides to say it's not my kid and he denies it and I think that decision which is where the mixture of kind of his professional life and his personal life comes together the minute he denies his son I think is what leads him into the drugs to numb the pain and to kind of hide behind. The use of cocaine becomes part of his regiment. He said well this is what would happen on Sunday we would play and we'd go out for a dinner on Monday, I'd go out with my friends and I'd party. Tuesday, I'd party. Wednesday, I'd party. Thursday, I'd stop partying and I'd start training and I'd start sweating it all out. Sunday, I'm ready to play again. And when you hear him talking about it and then you see it and you can see that was a typical week in his life. At the time, the best player in the world who wins the championship, but the guy is living a life which you cannot sustain. I mean, he's never talked about this stuff before. I've never heard any interviews before where he's said this sort of stuff and explained it. He's always talked about it in very general terms. And so part of my job was to meet with him and talk to him again and again and again and to go back to the question in order to get him to actually answer what I asked. And I'd ask him about his son or I'd ask him about his addiction and he'd give me this brilliant answer for 20 minutes about Seb Blatter. And I'd go, that's great. The president of FIFA. <laughs> that's amazing. And I don't think that was my question. Let's come back to it. So he's the master of diversion. And I was like, but that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking about your son. And so he didn't like it. At one point when he got really angry at me, he's like, you know, you've got a real nerve. The translation comes in, like, oh, and he goes, but for that, I have to say I respect you. Because most people would not have the nerve to say this stuff to my face. Dropping Scorsese lines on you. Big time. Yeah. Oh. This film's a Scorsese film, really. It is. It's played by, Paul, it's by a man in tighter polyester pants He's wearing cleats. Very much. This is a street guy. He happened to play soccer, but actually... When the soccer's gone, he's going to be a street guy again. Raging I've Bull. shown the film to Scorsese, and he loved it. And he's like, I've got to go to Coppola. Coppola's the guy from Naples. Scorsese's Sicilian. 
but he got it. He really loved it. How did that feel? I felt great. You've... He's the man. <laughs> this is his kind of universe. That's what it is. Scorsese didn't know anything about soccer. He doesn't know anything about Diego Maradona, but he understood those characters and those street guys very well. Oh, Pacino's Maradona. It's going to be amazing in the he Scorsese did have a film. We were talking about an Irishman, and he was talking about De Niro and talking about Pacino, and in the middle of it, dropping in Maradona like they were similar people. Talking about Scorsese, there's a Scorsese shot in all of your films. Senna, there's a shot on the starting grid before Senna's doom race where he looks haunted, lost, alone. I mean, Amy Winehouse, the last third of the movie is essentially that shot over and over again. It's so solitary. And then the Christmas party shot. Napoli Christmas party, post-1990 World Cup. He wants to leave Naples. He's addicted to cocaine. The walls are closing in on him. The camera cuts in on Diego. If you were a cinematographer and you intentionally tried to shoot this shot, you could not have shot it more beautifully. It just zooms in and then holds on his face a man who is dead inside. No one's ever seen this footage before. We found it with a Napoli Ultra fan, shot on VHS, and you can just see him kind of contemplating everything that's happened, everything about to happen. How did I ruin it all? And it's not a word. No one says anything. He doesn't say anything. The loneliness comes out of it. And I think the key thing about this film is to study his face and his eyes, and you see what's going on. So you see chaos around him, you see lots of people, and then you look at his face, and every moment you just see fear and vulnerability. One of the last lines from Maradona as he finally flees Naples after seven years of excess, sprawling, wild, lurid extremes. He says, when I arrived in Naples, I was welcomed by 85,000 people. And when I left, I was alone. And I didn't create any fuss. I just left. You went full-on true detective to make this film. You chased down rumours, long batted around, long denied that there was a Maradona archive out there somewhere. The story goes... Diego Maradona, when he was really young, had an agent called Jorge Sisterspiela. And in 1981, Jorge has this idea that Diego Maradona is going to be a star. He's a kid still, right? He's going to break America. And the way to do it is to make a feature film about him. So he hires two Argentinian cameramen who follow Diego when he's still a kid playing in Argentina to Barcelona. They film all of the Barcelona period. Then he goes to Napoli. They film all of Napoli. Somewhere during the period in Napoli, Diego fires his agent. Cameraman probably never got paid, so they run off with the tapes. I mean, the sheer mass of it, the range. How do you feel emotionally? Are you like Indiana Jones, I in the Lost Ark for the first time? It is a really strange feeling because you're looking at this material and you realise that no one's seen this stuff for decades. Diego's never seen it. His family have never seen it. He's so iconic. He's so famous. Everyone thinks they've seen everything about him. And then you discover this cachet of material... But it's disintegrating, you see. I was looking at these tapes and they were sticking together and I'm thinking, this is crazy. This is history. Greatest footballer in the world. There's this material that no one's seen and the tapes have stuck together. They're chewing up when we're putting it in a machine. So I'm talking to people saying, even if you don't do a deal with me, can I just digitise them and save them for future generations? Because it's bigger than the movie. It's crazy if we lose our history, if we lose these moments, how will we know what we've ever done? So part of it was my job is just to save this material for future. Luckily, I also know that if I spend enough time talking to them, they may do a deal with me. But we're dealing with Neapolitans. We're dealing with Argentinians. Worst thing for Argentinians and Neapolitans is to do a deal with English people. So, <laughs> so none of this is going to be easy. No one does any work over the phone. No one does anything by email. You've got to go there. You've got to have a really strong coffee. You've got to become a close personal friend before they do business with you. It took years sometimes. That was the pre-production. The post-production was an 18-month edit. must have been like putting together a million-piece jigsaw. 
to tell this story so beautifully, so emotionally, with no narrator, just heavy reliance on the visuals. What was that process like? Get all of the material, and a lot of time I'm just studying his face. I'm just looking at his eyes. Because when you get the tapes, they don't have a date on them. So you look and they go, well, what year of Diego is this? So you're looking at the logos, who's the sponsorship. You look at his eyes, you look at his chin, you look at his body shape. All of that is detective work and journalism in a way. But then you're trying to tell a story. So you have to talk to people and interview them. Over 80 people I interviewed in Buenos Aires, in France, in Spain, and in Italy. And an interview can suddenly change everything. A key interview was Diego Maradona's trainer, Fernando Signorini. So he was the person who really nailed this idea. Well, you know what? There's a kind of internal battle. There's Diego and there's Maradona. There's this sweet guy, very vulnerable, really nice. He loved him. Then there's Maradona. That's the guy he invented. That's the person he talks about in the third person when he's doing press to protect himself. And essentially, his life is this battle between Diego and Maradona. That's at the heart of our movie, really. For this movie, you actually got to meet Maradona in Dubai over the course of a series of sit-downs for nine hours of interviews. Did you meet Diego? Or did you meet Maradona, the man or the myth? That's a really good question. I would say there's a point during the interviews when I'm thinking, I'm talking to this guy, it's his life story, I'm trying to tell it, but I'm making a film about someone else. And I'm not sure if that person's around anymore. So on a spectrum, I was making a film about Diego who arrived in Naples, but I'm meeting someone, Maradona, quite late on in life. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure he's the most reliable witness. Even though it's his story, I'm not sure whether or not he remembers or he wants to remember, because he never looks back. He's never made a mistake in his life, Maradona. Whereas Diego is fallible and is able to talk about things that he's done. You're sitting there with a legend, an icon, the man who slayed the English single-handedly. And you had to ask him about his monumental cocaine addiction, ex-wives, illegitimate sons. How do you ask icons the most painful thing to their own faces? Part of the way that I work is I don't bring a crew and camera. I go there and I do audio interviews. So I try to make my entourage as small as possible so that he doesn't put on a front. He will perform for a camera. And I wanted to try and dig down and get something else out of him. So I took a little Zoom sound recording thing, all on my own, put the recording device on the table. He was watching Boca Juniors on TV behind me. <laughs> I, was like, I didn't have the nerve to say, can we turn the TV off? I'm like, it's Diego Maradona. He can watch TV if he wants. Fine. At least he can turn the sound off, though. So when he went to the loo, I turned the sound off. And he's still watching Boca while I'm interviewing. And I could see it reflected in the screen behind. I'm talking to him, and he's chatting away. And I'm thinking, we're getting somewhere. This is good. But the problem is, he keeps talking off mic. Because he keeps talking to the translator there. And I think this is really bad. I need him to talk into the mic. This could be the only interview I get with Diego Maradona. So I think there's only one answer for it. If I sit on the floor next to the microphone, he'll talk to the mic. So I sat on the floor in front of him while he's watching TV over me. And then I realise I'm looking at the legs and the feet of Diego Maradona. I'm at his feet, literally looking up at him. And I'm going, wow, look at those legs. <laughs> I'm just thinking, his thighs are amazing. And I look down his foot and go, that's Diego Maradona's left foot. And I had this urge that I've never had before. I've met a lot of famous people, I've met actors, I've met rock stars. I've never had an urge to touch someone. And the one thing you know about Maradona is he hates he being hates touched. He hates being touched. I could not help myself. My next question, which had no link to the answer he just gave, was, so was this the ankle that they broke? And I grabbed his left foot and I touched him. And then he got kind of angry, pushes me away. I fall back onto the microphone. It's all a bit embarrassing. But I couldn't help myself. I was at the feet of Diego Maradona. I had to touch him. What does it feel like? Does it feel like Da Vinci sculpted it? I haven't washed. Michelangelo. 
But what did you learn from a bloke who mythologizes? How did you cut through? Because some of the stories you get to tell, the terrain you move him through is so human, so poetic, so searing. I think the big thing is I spend a long time making these movies. So sometimes I would go to him and I'd have the tough questions to ask and I'd ask something and you just read straight away, he's like, I'm not going there, don't talk about her, I never want to hear her name again. You're like, all right, today will not be the day where I'm going to deal with those difficult ones. So I thought, okay, let's talk about your mum. Let's talk about growing up. So he was quite happy to talk about the poverty that he came from and the favela of Via Farita where he came from. So, okay, fine, we'll start there. And a lot of it is talking to people for a long time. In the last 10 minutes, I'm going to get to the tricky questions. So that's really what I try to do. A lot of it is just building up trust, building up a relationship, and right at the ending, you try and get something in because if it goes badly, he's going to kick me out. So Maradona, every English schoolboy's nemesis, thanks to that 1986 World Cup, you've rightly said... In the world, he's either loved or loathed. Did meeting him, did listening to him, change your own personal sense of the man? I think looking at the footage, seeing him young, seeing him in his prime is what, for me, changed my opinion. But meeting him, he's got charisma. He's got something. When he smiles and he's in a good mood, you're in a good place. When he's in a bad mood, you don't want to be around him. So at the end of most interviews, the reason the interview would end is because he's going to go off and play five a side. Diego still plays football every day. I think that's the point. In the end, he loves to play football. That's all he loves. And at the end of the film, probably the most contemporary shot is an image of him now playing five a side football. Yeah. There's a joy that emanates from that scene that shows you that still, after everything he's gone through, there's a thrill just like he had as a boy yeah. back in Argentina. That's the place where he still feels the happiest. Football was his escape. I'd say, ultimately, there is the love, there's the hate. He's a challenging individual. Having watched the film, I believe it's impossible to watch it without feeling an empathy for Diego Maradona. I hope so. I think that's really the intention. I think the idea is to show you who he was. You know, he has this drama around him. He has chaos. He's done a lot of bad things. I don't want to justify the things that he's done in his life. But I do think... Somewhere deep down, there's a really nice guy. Everyone I met said that's who he used to be. And the film's trying to just show people who he used to be and then how he became the person he is now. You're about to show the film in Argentina and in Italy. How do you expect it will be received in both places? I mean, it's going to be really emotional. Napoli and for Buenos Aires, this is the guy who made them great. And really, they haven't achieved those heights ever again since. I'm a bit afraid as well, you know, it's going to be interesting showing it to people. But... Generally, people are going to remember why he is their god and their hero. Most Argentinians, when they've seen the film, they cry a lot. This is their guy from their childhood who, more than anyone, made them proud. He beat the Europeans. He beat the English. And he did it in a nasty way, but he did do it just after a war between them when they were humiliated. That's the backstory for them. What's a life lesson that you took from the experience of making this film? The theme that runs through Senna, Amy and Maradona, in a way, they're all child stars. They're all kids that were brilliant that got taken away. And really, I think the lesson is to have a support system around you, to have people around you from where you started out before you were famous who stick with you or you stick with them so they can just say, you know what, you're going over the edge and they can pull you back. And I think that's the problem with a lot of the characters. The minute they get famous, they cut off the ties with the people they grew up with. And I think with Maradona and with a lot of footballers and sports people, they get taken away from home, they get dumped on the other side of the world, they're given everything, but one of the things they need is somebody to protect them and look after them. Because when humans become gods, there's only one thing there's that can only happen one way to them. That It's all downhill from there, isn't Fallen it? Fallen gods. Yeah.
Oh, what a bloke. Asif Kapadia, not Diego Maradona. Though, to be honest, he's not that bad either. Judge for yourself by watching Diego Maradona when it debuts on HBO Tuesday, October the 1st, this Tuesday, 9pm Eastern Time, or stream it on demand on HBO's many, many platforms. And please, I ask you, this is Rog asking, spread the word, because the better this film does, the more world-class football content like Diego Maradona will fill our screens in America. So tell the world, courage.